0: As a church family, we are experiencing something unprecedented, certainly in our lifetimes. With COVID-19, we've seen the world literally shut down for the last few months. And on top of that, we've seen more and more instances of injustice and brokenness. People, including ourselves sometimes, are so wrapped up in anger and vitriol for the people on the other side of whatever argument we choose to have, political or otherwise. And as followers of Jesus, our call is not to step back, ignore, and numb ourselves to the tragedies of the world. And at the same time, our call is not to get caught up in the fear, anger, and anxiety that the world is caught up in. What we are called to do in light of everything is to fix our eyes on Jesus. So on Sunday, July 26th, from 7.30 to 9 p.m., we're inviting you to join us for an outdoor night of prayer and worship at our downtown campus. We'd encourage you to bring a lawn chair and a smartphone so you can look up the lyrics and prayer prompts as we pray for God to move in our city and in our world. In addition, we wanna be wise and loving in practicing social distancing. Face masks will be required, and if you don't have one, don't worry, we will have a limited supply. For more details on this event, including the precautions we wanna take, head on over to our website. We love you all, and we are looking forward to seeing you soon.
1: You're listening to Teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to
0: MidtownColumbia.com.
1: Imagine with me a hypothetical scenario. A year starts off and half of Australia is on fire. That seems like it might be a big story for the year. And then a much beloved basketball player dies in a helicopter crash. And some think, man, can this year get any worse? And then hypothetically, let's say a global pandemic breaks out. Like something from a bad Netflix movie And it has this weird name and no one really knows how it operates yet or what impact it will have. And at first, most everyone is like, hey, we've seen this scare before. This is not going to be that bad. But then flight restrictions turn into nationwide stay at home orders. An unknown virus spreads like gangrene all over the world, killing large numbers of people. Economies worldwide are crippled and shut down completely with unemployment numbers skyrocketing to worse than depression levels. There are tons of new vocabulary words that people have never heard of, but now are everywhere, like social distancing and flatten the curve and PPE and community spread and N95 and super spreader and the list goes on. And in this completely pretend year, it is found out that this virus disproportionately affects the elderly and those with underlying health conditions. So it targets the weak and the vulnerable, and it also has a disproportionate effect on African-Americans because of historical health care disparities. There's a heated public debate over what to do about this and how we can protect some of the most vulnerable in our society. And on one extreme are those who argue we have to shut literally everything down until we have a vaccine. And if we don't, we're grandma killers. And on the other extreme are those that say this is not even a bad flu and we should just proceed as normal and let the chips fall where they may. I forgot to mention one thing that this hypothetical country plagued by a worldwide virus that hunts the old and vulnerable is led by someone in the demographic it targets the most who will face off with yet another man in the demographic it targets the most in an election year where political division and animosity are already at a fever pitch for months life itself feels canceled. Schools, churches, movie theaters, restaurants are all shuttered. We adapt as necessary, and we all get something called Zoom fatigue, which we didn't know was a thing until now. We are told we shouldn't wear masks, and then that we should, and then they become an accessory. Grocery stores become apocalyptic scenes with one-way aisles, and if you hear someone cough, everyone turns toward that person like they could be a terrorist. In the midst of all of this, some still act like Costco forcing customers to wear a mask might be the worst injustice they've ever experienced. And then hypothetically, as a country starts trying to open up from a historic pandemic, a white police officer kneels on a black man's neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds. It's tragically ironic because the form of protest for some against police brutality was, in fact, kneeling. And all of a sudden, there's a story and an outcry so large that you just might have forgotten for a minute that there's still a pandemic happening. Also, it's just July. And this is not an exhaustive list. I didn't mention many other things I could have or the locusts or the murder hornets or the Saharan dust cloud. I don't even know what happened with some of those. I'll show you one of my favorite memes that captures a bit of how 2020 has felt. Me looking outside to see what chapter of Revelation we're doing today. This year has indeed felt almost apocalyptic like utter chaos or a dumpster fire or whatever other extreme phrase you'd use. And some of you have experienced profoundly personal pain in the midst of all of this. And others of you haven't been as personally affected, but there's still this jarring sense of disorientation because so much of this is just so not normal. And the cumulative effects of this year have been enormous, regardless of the personal, particular impacts you've had. This year has felt like one of those topsy-turvy rides at the fair that you couldn't pay me to get on. Just enormously disorienting. And because of the historic and unique nature of so much that has happened this year, we want to just hit the pause button for a few weeks and directly address some of the chaos. So the goal of this series is to help us step back from everything swirling around us and think about how we are to respond to all of this chaos as the people of God. This is a bit different from our normal because most of the time we're simply trying to equip you all, uh, the saints, as Ephesians 4 says, for the work of ministry from the scriptures. We believe, biblically speaking, that that is our job. So there are big news stories, contentious topics, and hot button issues in the news all the time. We live in a very turbulent, divisive, whipped up culture. We know more things about the world that happen than any other humans who've ever lived. And as a default, we try to resist being reactive to that part of our culture. It becomes chaos if you do, because every few months you're stopping to address whatever is all over the news. And in general, we default to a slight rebellion against that. We want to subtly communicate that we have an eternal focus and mission that is above the fray. We want to equip our people in ways where we're not just reactive to those things, but where we're intentionally formed to wisely handle all of the fray, to operate as Christians first and foremost, not as frustrated Americans or partisan ideologues. But occasionally things happen that are so big and so deafening and we see such potential for confusion that we step back and we say, Hey, we think we need to speak directly and clearly to this. And 2020 has felt like one of those things where we feel it helpful to step in and just try our best to help us think as Christians through all of this. So go ahead and open up your Bibles to the book of First Peter. As we begin this series, I wanna draw our attention to this letter Peter writes, because it was written to a church who was also facing very difficult, very disorienting circumstances. We'll pick up in chapter one, verse one, to get the context. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who were elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, And Bithynia, according to the knowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. So in verse one, we learned that this letter was written to Christians in the dispersion. And the dispersion was exactly what it sounds like where Christians were dispersed to all these different places, many times as a result of persecution for their faith. And many early Christians were on the run from the sword, telling people about Jesus wherever they landed in new places like Galatia and Asia. And I'll quickly point out that we also have been dispersed, although by a virus and not by persecution. Uh, And also much of the time they were worshiping in their homes, just as we are worshiping in our homes now. And then verse two, Peter gives us a major theme for the whole book. The people he was writing to were undergoing significant suffering and persecution and trials, which are referenced throughout. And over and over again, Peter is going to point to uh, sanctification of the Spirit and obedience to Jesus in the midst of that suffering and those trials. So through the rest of the the letter, he continues to teach on hardships they are facing. And I think the term hardship is helpful for us because we don't use the term trials as much. And the word suffering tends to make us think of maybe someone dying or someone getting cancer or something like that. But much of what Peter addresses here just falls under the category of things that are difficult to go through. They are hardships. And he continues to remind them, hey, The Spirit is using this suffering or hardship to sanctify you. This is putting your obedience to Jesus to the test. So don't forsake him, hold on to him. While our situation is is very different in some ways, it's also very similar in others. And I'm not saying that this year has been devastating for everyone. Uh, Some of you may feel annoyance more strongly than anything else, and you might feel relatively unaffected. But for all of us, this year has brought about significant life-altering changes that we will never forget. So even if they haven't been overwhelmingly hard for you, they've at least been jarring. And for many of us, it has been a whirlwind of suffering and hardship and difficulty whether that's through the grief of losing a loved one or job loss or loneliness or economic uncertainty or the effects of racism you've experienced personally or relational breakdown or stress or whatever it might be. And you add on to all of that that all of the normal suffering of ordinary life is still happening in the midst of all of this. USA Today released an article recently that, that claimed the next pandemic coming is the pandemic of mental health that will result from all of this chaos. I referenced a report from the American Psychological Association that said, 80% of Americans said the future of our country is a significant source of stress in their life. Another study concluded that Americans are as unhappy as they have been in 50 years. Another report said the number of people reporting serious signs of psychological distress is 3 times higher than it was 2 years ago. Incidentally, I've also been personally taken aback at just some of the effects I've seen. I've borne witness to more jarring relational breakdowns and blow-ups in the past few months than I have in years. And I think all of the stress and separation from each other is doing a number on us and we might not even realize some of it. So Peter calls our attention to the same place. And he says, hey, the spirit wants to use all of this craziness and all of this hardship to sanctify you, to grow you. So will you let him do that? He says, hey, your obedience to Jesus is being tested through all of this. Are you still a Christian when you don't have the supports you normally have? Are you following Jesus through the chaos? He keeps pounding this drum as he moves through the letter. So we'll look at what he says next in uh, chapter one, verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. That's good news for all the uncertainty we've seen. We have something to look forward to that is imperishable, that can't be threatened by anything that happens here. Verse 5 So he tells them suffering and trials are like a refining fire. That just the way that gold and precious metals are refined by fire to burn away all the impurities, hardship does the same for us. It tells the truth about what we're really made of and it helps burn away all the impurity, all the immaturity and weakness, and hopefully reveals the tested genuineness of your faith because when the heat gets turned up, it tells you who you really are. It tells you what is solid and real about your faith in Jesus and what just melts away. And this drives our teaching to a great degree. We want to equip our church so that when the day comes where the heat turns up, we are ready for it. There's actually a ministry book called The Trellis and the Vine written in 2000 that ends with a hypothetical example, I kid you not, Uh, That says this, hey, what if a pandemic struck your area and your church was only allowed to meet in groups of three? What would happen and would your church survive such a thing? So when this all went down, there was a little bit of realization for us. We were like, well, we'll see what we've built, what kind of culture we have, what kind of people we have. We've always strived to create a culture where we are the church. We don't go to church. And we've been really encouraged to see all the creative ways our churches have managed all of the change. Our groups for the most part have trucked right along through all of this. And that's not always common in the church world. But there are other applications here too, because the trial of 2020 has probably revealed to many of us what our personal spiritual health really looks like. So what has happened to your faith in Jesus and your pursuit of Him through all of this? Have you been marked by the fruit of the Spirit in this season? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. What has happened to your spiritual disciplines and habits in all of the disarray? How have you done with engaging your community through the season? Have you let distance lead to assumptions and resentments in your relationships? Where have you, what have you been revealed to be in some of the controversial aspects of this year? Is your thinking about big things saturated with a Christ-centered worldview? Or have you become a parrot of your favorite news source? So think about all of the chaos and difficulty of this year and, and put it in the category Peter is giving us here that hardship points us towards sanctification in the spirit and obedience to Christ. We are going through the fire. And just like with gold, the goal is that we come out purified and shining and radiant with increased quality and substance. Peter picks up the theme again in chapter four, uh, verse 12. He says, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. So he's talking to people who by any standard have gone through some hard things. Some of them have had their lives put on the line for their faith in Jesus. These people are not just going through run-of-the-mill trials. These are fiery trials. This is hot heat. But still he says, do not be surprised, beloved, as though something strange were happening to you. In chapter five, he'll add to this and say, hey, your brothers around the world are experiencing the exact same things. Don't be surprised. The Bible over and over again tells us to expect suffering. It's not a question of if it's coming, but when and how much and how severe it will be. Suffering and hardship are not strange to the Bible. They are normative. They are not evidence that God doesn't love you. They are exactly what he tells you to expect in a fallen world. But though we are told to expect them, this does not mean they aren't tragic at times and terribly, terribly difficult to go through. The Bible has all sorts of room for lament and grief and sadness and pain. And there's so much real pain happening in the lives of our church right now. And what Peter is teaching does not in any way diminish or glance over that. As the writer of Ecclesiastes says, there's a time for everything, including a time to sit in your pain and grief and just weep over the sadness of it all. Even Peter's analogy of fiery trials and gold being refined by fire tells us Going through the fire is painful. It hurts. It's enormously difficult. And the shine and purification does come, but it doesn't downplay the difficulty. Being refined by hardship is incredibly painful. I can tell you that from personal experience that it hurts deeply and unmistakably. The next, Peter's gonna give them a truth I wanna focus in on for the rest of our time because it completes the whole picture he's painting. Verse 13, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. We'll stop right there because this is big. What this means is that as a Christian, when you suffer or go through hardship, you are in an actual and meaningful way entering into and sharing the sufferings of Christ himself. You never suffer first and you never suffer alone. This is not some trite coffee mug platitude, but a deeply profound spiritual truth that we can hardly grasp. And it's not even saying just that he's with us in our suffering in a detached way, but that there's a real spiritual union with him in his suffering, that our suffering and trials and hardship Joins us to him in his, and we participate in Christ's sufferings. Now, we love to compare suffering here, which is almost never helpful, but that's for another day. So, you might be thinking that Jesus didn't live through a pandemic, or he didn't go through some of the particular hardships that you have endured. That would be a short-sighted belief because the reality is that we could never understand the depths of Jesus's suffering. We don't have the ability to even comprehend what it's like to be God of the universe confined to human flesh out of love for wayward image bearers. Our most painful experiences of Betrayal don't compare to pouring your life into someone for years and having them betray you with a kiss that leads to your brutal execution. Our fight against sin doesn't compare to sweating drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane, only to submit to death and faithfulness to the Father. Our feelings of loneliness and desperation don't measure up to the spiritual agony of eternal relationship being ripped and forsaken on the cross as the most innocent person in human history was brutally and unjustly murdered. Bearing our sins on his shoulders and even his resurrected body bears the marks of his torture. So when you suffer, you are only sharing. When you go through the fire, you're not first and you're not alone. When you go through enormous hardships, you are graciously, thankfully, simply participating in his suffering. You are joining yourself to him through mutual heartache and hardship. But with that said, that's not all. We'll finish the verse here but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings so that you also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. The Greek word for glory here gives the picture of splendor or brightness or majesty. It's often applied to the sun or the moon or the stars. And it's the stunning response of viewing something so extraordinary, you struggle to find words for it. It's the same word used connected to purified gold earlier in the passage. And what Peter is saying is that the end result of all the hardship and suffering Jesus went through was that his glory was revealed for all to see, that he rose in splendor and brightness and supernatural resurrected glory as the king of kings and the firstborn of the new creation, shining like a radiant light over the cosmos. So, what we learn here is that hardship is the path to glory. This is the narrative arc of Jesus. The cross comes first, the resurrection glory, second. Suffering is the way that glory is achieved, hardship is the path to glory. So Peter looks through his letter to these poor, hard-pressed people sitting around their living rooms. And he says, don't worry. This is the path you were on too. You will share in his sufferings, yes, but you will also share in his glory. You are with him, united with him. Just as you rejoiced and were glad when his glory was revealed, you will do the same when yours is revealed. You are in the fire right now, but you will be amazed at what comes out. I don't know if you've ever had the pleasure of interacting with a a really mature Christian who has walked a tremendously difficult path in life, but if so, you've gotten a a glimpse of this, of just the, the weight and the presence and the gravitas that they have. Or maybe through reading about the life of someone like Corey Ten Boom or Joni Erickson Tata or Dietrich Bonhoeffer, where you see the purity of someone's faith and trust in Jesus, and it almost just makes you speechless in awe. My wife and I recently watched the Terence Malik film, A Hidden Life, which is a true story about a Christian soldier from Austria who refused to offer allegiance to Hitler's army. And his faithfulness to God led to gut-wrenching trials for him and his family. And as the movie ended, I was crying and literally speechless. I was so emotionally overtaken by the glory I saw in his faithfulness that I couldn't form words. And those moments of awe and speechlessness are just glimpses into glory. What Peter's teaching us here is that God wants you to be glorious. He wants you to share in the glory of His own Son. He wants your soul to be shaped and formed into the radiant, splendor filled image of Jesus. He wants your faith and trust in Him to be so solid that it could make others speechless in awe. He wants all the impurities of your sin to be melted away, leaving only the pristine gold shining for all see. But in the story of Jesus, there's only one way that happens. Suffering is the path to growth. Death is the path to life. Fire is the path to purity. Hardship is the path to glory. The radiant good only comes through the really really hard. And because of this, we can, in fact, we are instructed to rejoice insofar as you share in the sufferings of Christ. That's a statement that only a Christian can say, you guys. As an American, what possible reason would you have to rejoice in the midst of all of this chaos? But as a Christian, you can look at all of the craziness and difficulty and then look at yourself and the other Christians around you and you can know that you are dispersed and hard-pressed and tired and afraid and anxious and depressed and annoyed and lonely and fill in whatever blank you would say. You are entering into sharing the sufferings of Christ so that you and all of us can be sanctified, refined by fire so that we can all share the glory and wholeness and radiance of Christ himself. Before his final departing words, Peter ends the letter to this dispersed and hurting church with some reassuring words that I wanna leave us with. It's chapter five. Starting in verse six, it says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time, he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Verse 10, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory and Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever, amen. So he says, after you have suffered a little while. In other words, this won't last forever. The God of all grace, who is gracious even in the heart, has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. That is his end for you. The way to that glory is through hardship, but it will not last last forever. After a little while, he will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. He will restore what is missing. He'll confirm what is questioning and doubting. He'll strengthen what is floundering. He will establish what is wavering. He will not let you go he will accomplish the purposes that he set out to bring about in you. So let all of this frame up the various challenges brought by this crazy year. Let this be the framework for the topics that we wade into in the coming weeks, that hardship is the path to glory. God set out to sanctify us, to deepen our obedience to Jesus. And he wants us to be glorious and full of splendor that comes only from him. And he does this deep work through suffering and hardship because that's the way it works in his kingdom. And if hardship is the path to glory, then 2020 must have a lot of glory in store for us. So let's walk through this fire together and let it purify us. Let's let it grow us and expose the areas we need to repent. We will either be more separated and scattered and sinful after all of this or more united and purified and radiant. So let's pray for 2020 to be the year that brought our church together even while we were apart that it would ground our faith and trust in Jesus like no other year on record so we can respond to chaos and fear and uncertainty and division and injustice as the maturing and refined people of God walking with him through hardship on the way to glory. Please pray with me. Father, I thank you that um, this is how uh, growth and purification works in your kingdom, that hardship is the path to glory. I thank you that uh, we do not suffer first and that we do not suffer alone because all of our hardship and suffering is, is simply sharing in the sufferings of Christ. I pray that that would give us tremendous hope uh, that we are simply joining in what Christ has already gone through and suffered and that you have glory for us on the other side. Pray that you would help us see that, give us eyes to see. We need your Spirit's help with all of this. We can't do this on our own. So uh, please grow us, mature us, purify us, strengthen us, restore, confirm, strengthen, establish us. Help us in all the ways that we need help. Uh, it's only by your Spirit's power that we will grow and mature. Uh, so please do this work in us that we can't do ourselves. Uh, thank you for Jesus. We love you. Amen.